0: This is Future Sight, a show from Capgemini Invent. I'm Liz Lunier. On this show, we explore new ways for you to adapt and grow for the future in business. On this week's episode, we're discussing all the changes and challenges of 2022 and what 2023 holds for the future in business. Joining me here today to discuss this from Capgemini Invent...
1: Hello, my name is Volker
2: and I'm heading industries and sales at Capgemini Invent.
0: And from CCS Insight.
2: Hello, my name is Volker Otovy, and I'm the chief of enterprise research at um, CCS Insight, which is an industry analyst and consulting firm.
0: So on this episode, we're going to be looking back at 2022. So looking back at 2022, we've seen some truly unprecedented events and growth of business trends and opportunities. What do you guys see as some of your standouts of this year? Volker, let's start with you.
1: Well, thank you, first of all. Well, it has been an incredible year for sure. And if there is one standout, I would say I would call it perma crisis, because obviously there have been a lot of crises everywhere and we have been moving to fighting one crisis and the next crisis and to, towards a sort of permanent state of crisis management. And that's something which was, for me, very, very much dominant in this year, I would say.
0: I can definitely see that. I feel like this is the year where everybody is really running on adrenaline. What about you, Bola?
2: I'd have to agree with um, Volker, actually, because it has been a permanent crisis. Going across the global region, actually, um, I think There's been issues around the macroeconomics, geopolitical turmoil, uh, especially in the UK with a change of leadership um, quite rapidly in succession. And I think this has resulted in a lot of uncertainty and challenges around stability and concerns and has a pressure on a lot of people. So we've heard about cost of living, energy crisis, obviously the war in Ukraine. I think caught everybody by surprise. So that's one thing. And the pressure, the resulting pressures from that obviously has had a real impact. And then obviously, well, we've come out of COVID, but it's still having an impact in terms on supply chains and um, sudden changements towards the end of last year with China opening up. That's going to be a fantastic thing for supply chain, but at the same time, it has this challenge with rising COVID cases. So I think those were the kind of things. Permacrisis is, Volker, I think, Volker, you've, you've stolen the word, <laughs> the term, <laughs> frankly. Permacrisis is that, so yeah, definitely.
1: Very yeah, yeah, thing but I, I think there's one thing, well, I, I mean, I'm a positive person. I would love to add here because... I mean, I feel that everybody is very much looking at the crisis piece and for good reasons, because it has been very much dramatic. But let's also see that there is positive elements. I mean, even if it's tricky to say so, but I would say there has been more resilience than people thought. So in terms of economy, but also in terms of society, you know, I don't think you can say this is the bad side and this is the good side of the thing because all the events have been so incredibly terribly affecting all of us. But at the same time, I think it is important to also see positive outlook and see positive elements out of all of that. And for me, one really striking element of that is resilience to an extent where everybody was a bit surprised, I would say, that we actually end up the year from an economic
2: perspective, maybe a bit stronger note than we've been thinking when we started the year. Do you know what? I have to agree with you. And I think that's, um, I mean, I like the fact that you've come out and said there's, there there is a positive aspect. We can't all be doom and gloom. (laughs) But I I think you're right, actually. I think resilience has been a standout feature, and I think people have surprised themselves. But I also would say that the other positivities, and, you know, you can always look at the negative side, but actually, I always think that when people start to kind of see some of the challenges, you know, some of the issues, we've had the great resignation, we've had people sort of realizing, you know, that, you know, work-life balance, what they want, That's the positive side because then you can actually do something about it. And I think that's really kind of important. I think we're starting to see kind of the emphasis being placed on, you know, things that I think are really important and organizations and businesses are recognizing that there actually is a much tighter link To long-term sustainability, stability and growth. If they get sort of like the things around like, you know, employee satisfaction, employee experience, workforce retention, workforce engagement, all these things, I think actually I would say that's a positive outlook and outcome from some of the challenge that we have seen as a result of, you know, some of the, you know, the bigger impacts, negative impacts that we've had over the last year. I agree, and, and maybe also
1: one more element there is sustainability. I mean, we've all been talking about sustainability forever, and we saw an acceleration, actually, and it wasn't clear because when we see that energy crisis in 2022, the reaction could have also been, okay, we go back to coal, we go to back to you know all the elements which have caused the sustainability crisis, the whole world is in. But I would say overall, maybe not everywhere on the globe, but in many, many countries, we have seen that as a push for actually transitioning our energy supply to a bit more sustainability-friendly sources. And that acceleration, I would say, was also unexpected. Not the fact per se, we knew it was a strategic imperative to look into sustainability in 2022, but the acceleration around it, the maturity around it, I think that was impressive. And I think the social backing we got about it, I think that is really something which is interesting because
2: it's actually making the change happen at a higher pace than I thought that is that's a really good point i think the social aspect really is really important and it's a really think you know it's really important to put the spotlight on that because It's often the case that, you know, sometimes people feel that, oh, we all look out for ourselves. We kind of think about our own best interests. But I think actually the fact that the drive for renewables, the drive for, well, actually we need to do something different. We need to think about the sustainability story. It's not just the environmental aspect. It's the social aspect, as well as, you know, we talk about, you know, the governance and the economic aspect. And I think that social things, that groundswell from consumers, from workforce. Forces from other, you know, from right across the spectrum, actually saying, Well, no, we need to have the sustainability, we need to have the renewable resources, we need and they have been driving sort of organizations to think much more along those lines. They want change, they want to see a future. I mean, a lot of it's been couched in a future for our children, for our grandchildren, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's really important, but our own sort of well-being. And I think that actually has been a really good thing, is that that actually. At a social level, there's been a lot of support. And I think that's helped organizations to recognize that actually they have a duty of care to not just the business growth, but also people growth, community growth. I would say that's a real positive, actually. Yeah, that's my positive. I mean, it's not just the strategic thing some companies think about, or some
1: some people who really, really believe into that some enthusiasts believe, but it's really something which is, you know,
2: it ended up in our society anchored in our society. Exactly, and I think that's a continuation of, I think if we think about when we look at, you know, the technology industry, and IT in particular, that's also having an impact in terms of, you know, we talk a lot around ethics, we talk a lot around responsibility. I think that's actually been driven into the way that we think about what kind of modernization, what kind of IT, what kind of technology, how can we use technology for the greater good? You know, I know it sounds a bit wishy-washy, but
0: I think a lot more people, care about that now. That sounds really super positive. And I'm glad that, you know, it sounds like we've got some great things happening coming into this year with resiliency, the social aspect and sustainability as well. What do you feel is important? How do you think 2023 is going to be different than 2022? Volker, what do you think?
1: I think it's a mix. of, of the, On the one side, we will see that there is a continuation. That's not going to be different. We will have a continuation. We see it around, let's say, inflation. I think we will have a peak in, in interest rates in 2023. That's going to be a continuation. We see a continuation on the disruption on supply chains. Maybe people looking at it more strategically now, but still, it's going to be a topic for this year. Um, still, there will be continuation on how to deal with the China economy, um, for example, as another element of that geo uh, perspective. That's a continuation. What's going to be different? I think that, well, we know how to manage crisis now and we are actually in a more stability mode now. So there is a stability underneath that we are able to drive agility on top of it. And I like that word, stability, because it's pretty much combining both. We have a common basis now, which is able to deal with crisis in many companies, not in all, obviously but in many means that there is the flexibility on top um, um, to actually execute a strategy and not just react, which was 2022 for many companies has also been a year of opportunism and reaction. So in 2023, I think successful companies will move into stability and a bit of more uh, strategic execution um, again. I think strategic on value also, for me, the second point, it's not just on numbers, it's not just on, you know, growth. We always say growth. What does growth actually mean? I think in 2023, there will be a topic on value will trump hyper growth. And I think that's that's important to understand because it's linked to the societal aspect um, Ebola was referring to. We will see a, a strong emphasis on value, even more than 2022. And last, maybe, maybe also again on the geo, in the geo um, strategy. It will be a year of India, and for many reasons we can elaborate around that. But I think that's going to be interesting to see. We see it coming. I think that not everybody has really realized that that uh, the complete ecosystem, the complete geopolitical situation, will push India to the max because of its relation, because of its real strategic relevance, because of many companies might have um, a change in sourcing specifically when it comes to China, uh, rather than also going back to, um, to India, a bit more French-shoring, we we'll come to that in a second.
2: I certainly wouldn't disagree with anything you have said, Volker. Well, the thing is, is that twenty twenty three. I think absolutely there will be a lot of um, things that will be the same from twenty twenty two. But I totally agree with Volker in the set, the set that there will be a lot more strategic outlay. There'll be a lot more planning. You know, there's only so much that people can do reacting to crisis after crisis. And I, I think we now have a better handle on what, at a global level, at least anyway, how things are shaping up. So, and people that resilience that Volker talked about earlier is actually, you know, part of that resilience is actually putting things in place to be much more cognizant of the things that might not be, you know, that you might not anticipate. So I think that's, that's always a good thing because it makes pe- keeps people on their toes. I think there will be strategic and targeted investment. One of the things that we did when we looked at our, when we go out and do our surveys and our various studies, there is this kind of thing that, you know, will people still invest given the sort of turmoil of last year, 2022 and the years previous? I think one of the things that did came out really positively is that people are still going to invest, right? Um, The investment, you know, sort of chunk of investment that they're making, maybe not as big as they at the beginning of 2022, but they will still, we were looking at 15% increase in our survey right? But the thing is, it will be targeted. So I think there'll be a lot more strategic planning. The other thing that talked about that was happening that we're seeing in 2022, but I think will hold its own more in 2023, is the whole skills and talent and the workforce you know, retention. We are seeing challenges around the world, but, you know, and certainly from where I'm sitting in the UK, in terms of lots and lots of vacancies, there's lots of challenges in terms of wanting more from, you know, from their work, their their work-life balance, from pay, but also from, you know, sort of other trade-off features, the hybrid working environment. Now, At the beginning of 2022, everyone probably thought, oh, lots and lots of people will stay at home and it'll just be all the offices will close. I think as we now in 2023, we know that's not going to be the case. I think there will be, you know, there has been a return back to the office. But I think more and more of the workforce says, well, actually, I do want to go back to the office, but I also want to have the choice of being able to work from home. And that actually is important. I want that flexibility. It's something that Volker talked about, that whole level of flexibility. And you know what? for many industries, not all, that flexibility is possible. And guess what? The businesses can thrive and they have thrived with that flexibility of people wanting to work maybe two, three days, one day from home. So I think we'll see that. I think we're going to see possibly as well, maybe a kind of new contract with the workforce around the world in terms of Maybe four day weeks, but you know, so people are looking at looking at how things change. So I think that's one thing. So that's the workforce kind of engagement. The other thing is talent, talent and skills. But one of the things that whenever we survey anyone on anything, the biggest thing that we get is always oh, lack of skills, lack of the right people who have the understanding or the technology. So I think the thing is that skills pit is going to be a much more of a bigger. Focus area in 2023, but I think also it's not just about bringing in new skills from external. We've seen the te- yeah we've seen the news where a lot of the tech industries are laying people off because they brought you know people in. You know, we've seen quite a lot of um you know letting go. I think what's going to happen more is that it's movement around the organisation. They're going to be businesses are going to look at well we've got this workforce right we've got skill sets, and maybe we've got to be better, a bit clever about how we manage our skills that we already have, and maybe they can be repurposed. So I think there's going to be a real sort of focus in terms of trying to repurpose people within the organisations to other parts where there may be, you know, sort of looking for, you know, support. And I think that's the, that Comes to the fact that people will look at cross training, cross you know utilization of skills. That I think for me is going to be a big thing of twenty twenty three because it goes together with the whole engagement of the workforce, retention of the workforce. But it's a recognition that there are many more skills than just being a technically yeah the technical capability. I think twenty twenty three will see you know will see us right in that. Um, So I think there's going to be a lot more about that. But I want to get to Volker's point about India and supply chain. Just, just pull on. let me let me
1: quickly react. On, on, on workforce, I agree the war for talent isn't over. It will never be over. As de- demographics tell us that already in many countries. But I think that still Silicon Valley will continue to slash headcount and cost to some extent. But I think that's a chance for many, many other companies who have been not able to actually drive their tech angle to the, to the way they they wanted to, because people were just completely pulled into the, the, the Valley companies and also paid very, very high um, uh, remuneration. Re- so I think that's a chance for the rest of the economy. And I think your point on education and qualification, I like that a lot. And we have been searching for applications of Metaverse last year, and I think there has to be one mentioning of Metaverse in every podcast, otherwise it's not a tech or strategic podcast. But I think that is that yes exactly. But that's one of the elements where I see that actually education will face disruption, and I feel that elements like metaverse or other tech innovations will really make a big difference on education. And specifically, also globally on all ends, not just in the um, in the first world countries. And I think that's going to be a foundation. It will take some years, but it will be the foundation of a very very fundamental change on talent, uh, because education and the Uh, The ability to have access to education is incredibly increasing with that. So I agree a short term qualification within the company, movements in the company, midterm, I would say we have a completely different level of education possibilities. And that will definitely um, be the, the foundation for lots of change
2: before I get back to India, because it's actually ties into the education thing. I think you're right, actually. And I've got to congratulate you to get in the metaverse in quite, (laughs) which uh, is, and you know, at this stage of the conversation, um, I agree the metaverse will have, um, is going to have an impact, but I think it's a growing long-term side of things. I think the thing about the education side, I think actually in many respects that Education disruption has been happening for a number of years actually, to be honest with you. That whole ability of being able to do things online, around the world. I think we're going to start seeing, you know, there's, there's universities and, you know, many of the big universities have been able to create kind of online courses that take, you know, sort of, um, um, enrollment from all over the world, you know, all you really be able to need is a computer and, you know, sort of a good connection and all that kind of stuff. So in, 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 in many ways, respects, I think that disruption is already ongoing and happening. It may speed up absolutely with the new styles of you know collaboration solutions, the kind of headsets and all that, you know, all of those kind of things, they are already playing. To be honest with you, a lot of the equipment is still too expensive for a lot of people in the in the developed world, let alone the developing countries. So um, I think we need to see price changes around that side or or some sort of model, whether it's you know whatever model hiring or whatever. So I think there's that's the that's the thing. I think the thing is if we look at India, I like your point because do you know what it's really interesting. A few years ago, I mean, and that's always been the case really, hasn't it? The case of you know almost like these two big countries, China and India, sort of almost who's going to be out on top. And I I do think that, you know, to a certain extent, what what has happened with closed borders, you know, zero COVID policy that China's had, has had an impact on supply chain. And that has put India up into the kind of like, opened it up. But I also do think that it's put a pressure on everybody in the terms of the supply chain. I think there is kind of a recognition that maybe... The thing is, is more onshore requirements. And that actually is going to have an impact in terms of people rethinking the costs because. I think there's a recognition that globalization in many respects has not always worked out for everybody. So I think the reality is, and that has an impact on the geopolitical side, which ultimately then has an impact on the macroeconomics. So I think there might be a more leveling off. Yes, India will come up. And I do think it's what we're seeing. But I do think that ultimately that maybe people will start to rethink those supply chains to more near shore onshore kind of environment yeah, and maybe start thinking about how they kind of reassess their communities and what they do and that's all part of the skills and training aspects you know to a certain extent so um, whilst I agree that India will be an ascendant I do think that we may see some sort of like you know leveling off or bringing up of the onshore you know sort of workforce so that's that's something um, and that's part of that whole you know, workforce engagement, you know, and I and I think it's a question and a, you know, a problem that every, every country is facing and every, you know, legislative concerns or discussions are happening around the thing. I'm not in government, so I'm not going to say, but I think that's something that people people are thinking. And once again, it ties into the sustainability story because it's not just about sustainability ecologically. It's a sustainability societal, and I think that's something that is that we're we're going to start seeing because that's really important. The other thing we haven't mentioned, and I think that's healthcare. You know, in the same way Volker that you talk about, um, you know, we talk about regions. Let's talk about industries. You know, where are the big industry, you know, challenges or big dynamics that we're going to start seeing. I think there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of times people talk us about talk about. You know, digital transformation. I actually like to say modernization, really, because you know, I think it is a recognition of modernization, is part of that transformation. It's a it hands goes hand in hand and will always be transforming. This era is digital, but I think ultimately is modernization. So we look at which industries. We always talk about f you know financial services, banking sector, which is all like, but I think the healthcare industry is where I think has holds a lot of promise in terms of technology renewal, in terms of modernization, in terms of you know um, adoption and opportunity. I agree. And I mean, I,
1: I think a good example around that is, is MedTech. Um, so when we see, and we saw it at CES this year, uh, already early in the year, um, the very impressive evolution or you might also say disruption you see on MedTech, where really technology and data make a completely difference now. I think that's impressive, and I think that's also really a game changer because it's not limited to one industry. It's sort of bringing industries together, and then sort of very customer in that pay, um, point client centric um, or patient centric, um, having a strong impact. So I I think that's one of the most how to say visible things um, uh, in, in the, from from a from a normal citizen perspective. Now, if you look at industries, I think. It's gonna be interesting in this industry year. It is an interesting year for banking, to be honest. Uh, so interests go up, still up. You know, might be peaking in twenty twenty three. Bonds are back to some extent. So you know, what is the what is the reaction in banking? That's gonna be interesting because they have all been on a um, we we digitize our operating model, we digitize our core journey. And the question is a bit now. You know, how to ensure that the pace and transformation is, um, is is still high and and how can they actually make well, ensure that they're not falling back into the trap that they have been before just because interest rates are back um, and that they continue their disruption and that they continue the the journey they've been on for the last four or five years I would say on other interest industries well let's say another one to mention for me is manufacturing which is probably the most most hit by the complete or very hit by the complete supply chain disruption topic. So I'm interesting. I'm interested. My prediction would be that manufacturers move, continue to shift away from China. That's why I also brought up the India topic to some extent. Not fully, but to some extent. And I, I think that the complete manufacturing supply chain topic, that's a bit where I where I like to use the word French showing. They have to consider BCP business continuity planning at a completely different scale now. And the reaction... Is not to 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 onshore everything again. The direction is to have a bit more flexibility in in in, in and sourcing. And you see it when you look at the chip production. You see it when the, you see it, you look at the dependency on, on Taiwan. The world was was standing still for a few days last year when there was uh, the crisis emerging um, around around Taiwan. Specifically, when you look, for example, at automotive manufacturing. And if you transfer that now to 2023, we will see investments around that, that these moments don't, you know, don't come back easily. But this is a midterm journey. It's not going to be completely easy and simple because it's huge invests and there is a huge dependency. So I, will, I feel that that dependency will still be there for some time, though I think as part of the um, point on strategy execution we mentioned earlier, we will step by step see reactions and uh, an execution of around a more, Flexibility in sourcing and shoring, which is not onshoring, but friend shoring, in my view.
0: I like the friend shoring, whatever you want to call it. It's a very interesting concept, but what about security? Volker, what about cybersecurity? I know that it was a trend in 2022 and it's becoming more important. How do you see security playing a role in 2023?
1: Well, it's going, to, it's going to be a continued trend. And I mean, Bula, you can add numbers to that. Um, I, I could too, actually. But, you know, it's it's very much, I mean, visible now. I think the, the cybersecurity topic has been underlying for years. It's not new. But in 2022, it became visible. And when you look at regulatory elements of that, visibility means pressure from politics, pressure from regulations because the public interest is, 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 is switching. Um, and that was what's happening last year. Um, so we will see a continued movement also on the regular side of things around cybersecurity. But I think the biggest change or one of the biggest changes in cybersecurity, everybody has it on their plate now and they will continue to invest, is the race we see sort of in, I would say, the more defensive um, actions in the companies and then the race in tech innovation. For me, it's a bridge to the discussion around low-code, no-code, because... When we see what was happening, what was starting to happen last year, we'll continue this year, we will see that shift to everybody codes. Everybody is able to to drive innovation. You don't need a master in informatics to be able to do coding. Everybody is able to do that, and it's getting simpler and simpler. And you see the good example, I think, which is sort of very, very prominent these days is ChatGPT, is a result of of we are able to combine things way more easy than in the past. But before we go to the ChatGPT part, The effect on cybersecurity, coming back to your question, is is imminent because if everybody is able to do it, it means that there will be a lot of applications where people are just like, you know, not with a full background on everything, but just like try to drive innovation. And they're able to because it's comparably easy, also in the corporate context. Now, to get security in that context where people who are not completely educated in everything around that... Um, are, are driving innovation around, for example, or code no-code, that is complex. And that is not something which is coming naturally. So it's going to be a continued effort um, to secure that. And a certain level of professionalism is required there as well. Because if everybody is able to code, it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is able to well have cyber security on top of the mind at the same time.
2: That is true. That is very true. Um, I have a slightly kind of um, maybe not as um, um, cozy or, um, <laughs> the, or the fact that everybody can code. Look, everybody can cook, but not everybody's a chef. I think the cybersecurity point is actually a really good point. The reality is, look, here, at the end of the day, I don't think there has been, since we've been connected and interconnected, there hasn't been a decade gone by where security hasn't been in the top three Um, or top five issues for companies. And yet here we are, 2023, and it's still a top issue because it will always be a top issue. Um, um, The more connected we become, the more likely that there will always be bad actors who want to, you know, either bad actors who want to get something financially from us, appropriate sort of IP, intellectual property, people who want to try their, you know, what we used to call in the days and probably still do, script kiddies who kind of like just want to try and poke, you know, a system just to see if they can get in. So there's a bit of a kudos in terms of that. And then there's always going to be state sponsored activism. And we see it, we've seen it In fact, if anything, you know, on the surface of in terms of the aggression that's happening in Ukraine, we see the surface side, but we don't see what's happening behind the scenes. And we hear sort of things have been stopped or not stopped. And so therefore, cybersecurity is just another battlefront, actually. Um, I think the reality is, is that organizations, I think it's a bit of a two step forward, one step back, right? Organizations are better at security, just generally. We've got further. We are better. There are more tools, possibly too many tools, but there is a lot more thought process around it. But the fact is, is that sometimes new things come along and they cause a, a hole of vulnerability. The thing is, is that and then something else comes along to try and sort of patch it up. We've got zero, you know, zero tolerance, zero security, zero, you know, um, all of those, you know, sort of new models to try and address security, not just at the kind of the boundaries but also security at the kind of almost object component level, you know? Um, So that's one of the things that we've kind of seen. We're seeing new models and I think that will become more and more important. I think the, the low code aspect, right, is actually really important. It's really important because actually low code isn't just for everybody. Right. Well, it is just for everybody, but it's also for the professionals as well. We're starting to see the professionals want productivity. They want to be able to say, well, actually, there are some kind of um solutions that or kind of processes that are just, you know, standard. You know, why do I need to kind of keep rewriting that? Maybe I could use something that does low code. That's great. I think the miss the thing that we're missing is governance in all of this. I think governance is becoming a much more powerful word and in fact we're going back to recognizing that actually it's the way you do something, the way you manage it, the way you kind of like you know the the process that you put in place but also the mindset. It isn't about locking everything down, right? It's like no no one can do it. It's not saying no. It's not being the people who say no, but it's the people who are saying yes. But, you know, with some caveats, and we're going to give you flexibility and freedom, but the recognition that there are some things that need to be addressed, right, or need to be in place. So the guardrails, I think there's going to be a lot more focus on guardrails, putting those in to allow people to be flexible, but and also knowing when something then goes out into the field, right? And those are the kind of things it's one of you know, in a kind of way, that's been the kind of, the revolution that's been happening at the development and delivery side, DevOps, all of those kind of things, terminology. It's about ensuring that we've got quality, we've got governance, we've got the ability to ensure that these things are not going to fall over once they get out into production and we have the kind of stability that yeah, we all look for. I agree. And
1: I think on a very positive side on that, because for me, it's really a great chance. It's about being able to scale because it's way more efficient and effective to um, develop um, innovations now because of low-code, no-code. And I feel that that's, I mean, I mentioned it quickly, but I think it's something to stress. You see the effect of chat GPT at the moment, right? Everybody's talking about it. You see it with, you know, everybody's new search engine. It's taking over the world. But, and I like it. But for me, it's just one example out of very, very, very many, which is just applying what we've been talking about AI, data connectivity, API-fication of things, so being able to plug data sources together in a standardized way, being able to accelerate and um, also distribute on a global scale, reach everybody globally on a fast scale. I think ChatGPT is a perfect example. Everybody thinks it's this thing. For me, it's one thing out of many, many, many more to come, but you just see the exponential rise, the exponential speed, the, uh, the scale behind that. And that's why I like that example so much because it's a perfect one on how to go from low-code, no-code into a business value kind of thinking in super speed.
0: Okay, I have to say, I hear so much positivity in what you guys are talking about and so much excitement. But at the same time, I've got to ask the question that's on everybody's minds right now. Is there going to be a recession? What are your thoughts?
2: The the fact is, is that I've been kind of, reading the news. And in fact, increasingly, there are, you know, a lot of the kind of like well-known economists are coming out and saying there doesn't need to be a risk. You know, it can be avoided, right? It's avoidable, providing X, Y, and Z, right? I think I think there is going to be contraction. There's no doubt about it. Um, how deep that contraction will be, I don't, you know, I don't think anyone really knows so much. Maybe, you know, and let's, I put my hand up. I'm not an economist, right? And I'm just really literally reading what other, you know, who are, who, who understand this better. I think we can see from all of us that there will be a contraction because people have. You know the engine that drives kind of the global economy in terms of you know people are sort of battling down the hatches in terms of cost of living in terms of bend and all this kind of stuff and certain industries are being really affected by this that said we're starting to hear positivity around you know sort of energy prices coming down you know sort of um inflation coming down all of these things you know and all of these are going in the right way and that will have a positive side on some sort of maybe interest rates, which means that there will be the confidence in there for people to start to think about, you know, what they then spend. But I think it won't be the confidence that we had before. I think it would be once again, more pragmatic. You know, I think people have been through the last three years, you know, have been tough for the world.
1: I, I 100% agree from from what I see in in, in our markets is it's, it's a bit different by geo, so you might even say that maybe, toy toy, to, the US is even able to narrowly um, avoid it. So it's different by market, and it's going to be a bit more recession light, hopefully, in, in most in most regions. A bit more on the consumer end, to be honest, because that's my third point. It's what well, we see that the companies don't stop to invest because obviously the the, the need. To change, to transform, to invest into technology and to invest in innovation to be able to change the business model. That's, it's not stopping and it's not stopping for long. And that's why I'm saying it's a recession light because on the, on many industries, companies continue to invest while for the consumer, for, for, for the, I would say for the normal citizen, it still feels a bit more on the recession end of things. So it's a, it's a so so. And of course, I mean, we don't know exactly. When we look at, I think a good indication is inflation. When we look at that, we feel that there, it's beginning to cool off a bit, right? So we, we feel that there is a high risk, but maybe we 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 get it uh not as strong as it has been in the past.
2: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think also we'll see different models come to fore. Actually, I think this is a you know a, a fertile ground for different models you know, in terms of consumer spend, in terms of consumer engagement, but also in terms of the workforce and in terms of business. I think that's what we're, you know, and technology will be behind, will help drive those models, you know, to uh, fruition, to people trying them out. I think this is, the thing is, is there is a sense of realism and pra- pragmatism that possibly comes out, out after the kind of, like the three or four years we've had. And I think people will be, much more, you know, sort of, um, they'll want to innovate, they'll want to do things, but I think they will be, you know, a little bit more, you know, careful and targeted. So I think 2023, I think could be, you know, I hate to say a holding year, but could be kind of like a a stabilising year to see where we're going forward as we go forward into 2024 and 2025 for the rest of the decade.
0: Do you think that this is partially going to be driven by the change in what we traditionally think of as shareholders?
2: I think so. I tell you, because we're all shareholders. If you have a pension fund, you're a shareholder of some sort, right? I think people are recognizing that even as workers, we are shareholders within that company, right? And I think that's the recognition that actually there has to be a much more stronger balance or better balance, better balance between the shareholders and recognition who those shareholders are. Because if I'm an employee, I'm a shareholder of a business, of the business I work for, as much of a shareholder as the person who's invested in that or the pension fund. So I think that's, a, you know, I think people are recognizing that, that it's not just, you know, I think sometimes we'll go, oh, shareholders, we think of individuals. I don't think, I think people are realizing now that it's a much more collective, uh, but well, what that does, I, I think the the companies who recognize that and take that as a kind of a, a, a an ethos in terms of balancing that out, I think will actually do really well because I think they will have the, the backing and the engagement from all parts of the, um, of the shareholders and they will recognise what the value really means to the different shareholder cohorts. And I think that's going to be quite important and that will change. And that's why I'm saying there's going to be, I think there's going to be a lot sort of different types of models actually coming out. They um we have, yeah, we're only seeing the sort of we're scratching the surface at the moment because it's an opportunity now. That's a positive. It says, opportunities. I mean, there's opportunities for change. We're in that melee where things haven't, you know, people are still kind of thinking, well, what's the, you know, what what's going to work, what's not going to work. And I think that's the excitement. I mean, I actually, I'm excited about 2023, actually, to be honest with you.
1: I am as well. And I think on, on that shareholder value piece, to summarize, from my from my view, what you're saying is completely true. I call it the the effect of responsibility. And that is you know, now a part of shareholder value. So what value means is different. It means an ESG responsibility to a completely different extent than in the past. So it might still be shareholder value, but in a different meaning of value. And for me, 2023 is a year of value in a more societal um, interpretation than in the last years.
0: Do you think leadership is going to become more risk averse in 2023?
1: I hope not. Um, if, if I, uh, I mean, it's. A, I mean, I don't think there is the leadership. It's a. It's a question of company culture and strategic execution. But um, my hope not is not because I, I do believe if we, if we stop taking risks, we are we are moving, well, not strong enough. And you know, I'm just I. I like entrepreneurial thinking, and for me, being successful in business means also taking risks. I mean, also controlling risks, of course, but but taking risks in a in a responsible way. Yeah. I think that if you're not moving out of a comfort zone, we're not moving fast enough. We're not moving at the the, the, the speed of our abilities. So for me, my hope is that not. In terms of prediction, it's tricky because it's very, very much depending on on company, um, uh, company culture. The clients I'm working with, I can say there is a risk appetite in a good manner. And I like that. I want to take risk myself. You know, as a consultant, I don't want to be a resource and and uh, you know an, an extended arm of of the client and just executing the strategy. We want to take risk. We are entrepreneurs as well. We want to we want to create value together with the market and with a complete ecosystem. So my hope is that we continue in that journey. Me, for me personally, saying I can say risk is part of acting entrepreneur. Entrepreneurial thinking is what it needs to take uh, to be a good, uh, um, to, to be driving business impact. So yes, I mean, hopefully we're not becoming risk averse
2: at all. I think Paul Volker makes a really good point in the fact that um, I think the value bit will, will change, but I think we are, risk is about evolving. You know, I think, you know, we, you know, as a species, we, you know, we, <laughs> we always take risk. Why we wouldn't have flown to the moon if we didn't take risks. We wouldn't do half the things we do. It's whether it's good risk or bad risk, you know? Um, I think the the reality is, is that there's always a set you know, there's always an element of basically kind of like taking a step back and rethinking the risk profile. But I think most people, yeah, you know, I think the leaders, there will be they'll be taking risks because actually, do you know what? In the land of opportunities as well, there's an element of risk you have to take. Um, The question is, the question is, is how ethical you are with that risk and how responsible, which is something that Volker said, which I think is really key. But also, you know, um, you know, and and that has to be your, your an ethos and a culture thing, right? Because, but it's also recognition that, okay, some things don't work out, right? And that's fine if you learn from it. And that, you know, there are some things that you can say, I need to understand the risk better, right? So that, you know, for some you know, some risky is like, oh, okay, I'm just gonna do that, just gonna go and do that, and I don't care, right? I think there's gonna be a little bit more of, well, it's gonna be risky, but we need to understand it a little better. And if we so long we'll have, you know, better sort of margins of what we will accept, right? That's fine. Um, I think that's, I think people will be a bit more, you know, clever with their risk. I think the thing is, is that the only thing I would say is that we talk about speed and I, I would like to address this is that the reality is, is that I think we all talk about, well, we need to be fast and that's, you know, we need to get out there and everything like that. I actually think that, you know, we have to be much more, you know, we have to have a better understanding of speed and agility, right? And what we need to, what is fast and what is agile and what we are trying to really do. Because I don't believe that, I'm not saying that people can't, they can't improve the cadence, right? I think that you can. And I think actually when people look back as what actually works is where you improve the speed, where you've got good controls, good governance, good sets of you know processes in place, I know that a lot of people talk, you know, I, you know, I have always said discipline is the gateway to innovation and, you know, and it's the way forward. Um, I know everyone always says, oh, discipline, you know, I've got an engineering mindset. So, you know, for me, the big engineers who have taken risks, but they've engineered it. I, you know, that to my mind is really important and it's about repeatability. It's about a certain level of predictability. So I don't think discipline, I think discipline is in itself an innovative thing.
1: I love, I love, that. Well, I have, I, you know, I'm an engineer myself, so I, I have to love what you're saying, but I do love it really because for me, risk is change, but there is a, there's a change in what risk means. In the past, we have, we have looked up to people where we just like take risk out of a gut feeling and we're moving from that gut feeling. So an educated risk in terms of being able to quantify, to evaluate, to understand, to drive transparency, you said to disciplinary execute around it. And that's what I like, because that's very much at the heart of me as an engineer. Um, but I, I really have to say, we still have to do it, because it does mean that we are changing, that we are evolving, and sometimes even disrupting. I, I just think that, that moving away from pure gut feeling, I'm a good entrepreneur, so I know what's right, to have a more educated decision-making process around it is actually what makes a substantial differences. Moving away from lucky shots and moving to, to, to you know, entrepreneur scale.
2: And that brings in the whole point about data, right? Because we can't, we can't actually have, do you know what, we haven't actually mentioned the word data. <laughs> My God, we've mentioned, we've mentioned metaverse ahead of data. I can't believe that. <laughs> so, um, But data, yeah, it is a shock. And I think data is, you know, it, you know, people talk about it's the, the new old oil, it's the old oil, I think data and insights, you know, I mean, and it's, you know, it's where we're going to start seeing the power of, you know, AI really kind of, uh, and machine learning really kind of help. But I think the most important thing about data is the reality is 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 actually the quality of the data it's not that it hasn't been thought about it has been but it's been in the background we've kind of said oh everyone's got all this fantastic amount of data these volumes of data and um we've got to kind of like get insights and everything like that um and you know and you talk about chat G, uh, gpt which i think is really Great, and you know the reality is it it only uses up to twenty yeah twenty twenty one data, and it doesn't go out to the internet to kind of um update its data for very good reasons. <laughs> I would have you say for very good reasons. Um, but I do think that data quality is going to be the re- you know it's going to be a real thing. It, you know, it's going to be a really important as we go forward, and that's going to have a you know I think that's going to have a really important you know aspect. I think there's going to be people who will have, you know, data sources which will be proven to be, you know, qualified or validated for a particular industry or a particular sector or a particular function. I, you know, that's my prediction: is that you know there's going to be a lot more, you know, there's going to be a lot more about the data source.
1: when it, when it comes to that, I, 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 mean, the reason I didn't mention data because for me it's in all that. When we speak low code, no code, ChatGPT, when we speak any kind of the elements we have been discussing, all that is because we already inherited data. And that was sort of, until now, we always had that discussion on data is everywhere. Yes, it is now. But for me, the point on data is that we are now talking data ecosystems, So the ability to connect data in a structured way. So in the past, we called that api um, APIification the ability to connect. And I think it's coming to, we have that to some extent, Companies need to learn how to work in an ecosystem, and data is the fundamental element of that, the basis of that. So are we able to drive data ecosystems beyond our own company borders? Are we able to judge quality of data within that now standardized data flow? Are we able to understand and differentiate um, um, valued data, um, qualified data, and just any kind of raw data Um, I think that's the fundamental questions. If we are able to leverage the data ecosystem, everybody has that, but are we able to leverage that? That is making the difference. And ChatGPT again, is a good example of leveraging and also saying differentiating between qualified and non-qualified. So yes, data is everywhere now. And the question on data ecosystem is, is leading to the overall question of general ecosystem and are we able to drive an ecosystem play in 2023 strategy is an ecosystem strategy we are not alone there nobody of us is no company is alone and any kind of strategy needs to have needs to be driven by the company the corporate and the social ecosystem and whenever we are able to play that we're having a competitive advantage.
0: I love that. I love that. This has been an absolutely fantastic conversation, both of you, but we do need to get to final thoughts. So Bola, I'm going to start with you. What would you like to leave our listeners with when they're thinking about going into 2023?
2: Oh, Oh, don't forget the past. (laughs) No, I'm serious. Don't forget the past. Um, So um, I think the thing is, is that many of the, you know, sort of challenges that were in 2022, you know, will still be there, but there are now means for which you, you know, them, right. Um, As well as you can, you know, sort of see Ways to kind of improve upon them, sort of targeted, understand what it is that you're trying to achieve, understand the value that you need to deliver or what value that is, you know, needs to be delivered, whether that's between your workforce, whether that's between your, you know, as Volker says, your ecosystem, your partners, and your customers. And it is an ecosystem story. I think, I mean, I'm sorry, Volker, if I've stolen your march, but, you know, absolutely, it's an ecosystem and that actually that there are orthogonal plays. So don't just think about where you are, but also think about the other, the boundaries, but also where you can either make new relationships or other relationships can have an impact. So be, you know, think about the past, but eyes wide open going forward.
1: I, I have three points. Um, So I would start with learning from perma crisis, learning from the past, we have, we, we have to look into that stagility element. So we have the, the foundation stagility. And with that comes the ability to execute strategy. So my first point is on the ability to execute strategy again. And I think that making a difference because it's not a reaction, but it's proactive steering and acting entrepreneur again in a, in a, in a proactive way. Strategy execution. Second point is on value and ecosystem. Well, I said it earlier. I will repeat that here. 2023 is the year of value for me it's the question of how to actually leverage an ecosystem towards the value of that ecosystem again because it's a bi-directional conversation and my third point is on sustainability because it's very much linked to value but it's it's going of course beyond that because it has a societal impact and and sustainability for me is the conversions of tech and data and regulatory and that regulatory piece we' discussed yet but you see that regulators are moving a lot specific when it comes to sustainability. We saw them committing. They will now be forced to act. So that will have a great impact. We saw it in the US. There is billions of dollars now pumped into the market. The regulators are acting. And that will make a big, big effect on sustainability and on the ecosystem play around that. So for me, the third point is on sustainability and the ability to actually benefit from it also commercially, also societal, not just having a some pilot here and there and making a brand promise, but executing around. Strategy, the value of ecosystems, society.
0: From that conversation, it's clear that many of the biggest shifts in business that happened in 2022 will carry over into 2023. A year which looks like it's presenting exciting new opportunities in everything from technology to finance, and interesting challenges in areas such as cybersecurity. A special thank you to Volker and Bola. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Future Sight, a show from Capgemini Invent. We'll see you soon.